0: Welcome to Season 2 from a Lancashire Lass with me, Lucy Baxter. Joining me today is Irene, a detective in Greater Manchester. We're going to be talking about Irene's life and her outlook on what's happened to her, but it's going to be a really interesting and, I think, really inspiring chat for us all. So, Irene, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? I'm um, well, thank you, Lucy. Thanks for having me. No, thank you. So I know we can't go into too much detail about your work as a detective, but I think listeners will kind of want to know a little bit. So maybe could you tell me how long you've you've been a detective and did you always kind of want to go down that career path?
1: Uh, yeah, I've um, been in the police this year, 23 years. Um... Uh, when I was a child, I didn't really aspire to be a police officer. There was nothing nothing really reaching out at me. I remember as a kid, all I remember is wanting to have a family. And that's that's basically my aspirations in life, was to have a family and have these two little girls. Um, I did watch Juliet Bravo. No, you won't remember Juliet Bravo, but it was a police woman who had a handbag and a skirt, a police, like, skirt uniform, and she used to run around and, like, solve crimes and there'd be handcuffs in her handbag, and I used to play that. Um, And then when I was 23, I thought, I want a career as opposed to just office jobs. I I hadn't gone to university, uh, and I thought, right, I'll try the police. That, That seems a good enough career. So, yeah, and I've
0: loved it. Yeah, I must admit, if I wasn't kind of doing what I am doing... Police seems like um, something I'm really interested in. That kind of that kind of career. Um, so, when you were a child, kind of, did you have like? Then I don't know. Do you need to be curious to be a detective? What kind of sort of yeah. qualities do you need?
1: Yeah. yeah, you need to be nosy, and I am nosy. Uh, I love people watching, and I'll find. I find I remember really curious things about people. Um, but then I, I couldn't remember whether he, somebody had glasses on or not, or he had a moustache or not. But I'll remember that he had uh, a quirky tattoo, you know? It, so it's, it's, nosiness does help. Um, but yeah, I was always curious and I love, I love what makes people tick and what makes people do things and not do things. And I think you have to have an interest in people to mm. uh, go this kind of job
0: is there anything you can tell us maybe a like a, a a good memory when in your work or something that's like a highlight or maybe something that's sadder that you've had to do anything you're allowed to say on that anything like um, that I suppose I've dealt with lots of different
1: things that's the things with being a detective you can go into all different ranges of jobs within the police and when I was in CID I um I I can't deal with old people um, I can't, I, I get really emotional dealing with old people. And this one lady had gone missing and she was in her eighties. She had dementia. Um, and I remember I was on the job and we were looking for her. And then we got a call in from an old people's home saying that they've got this lady in this description. And I thought that's her that she's, she's been taken to this old people's home. So I went and got the husband and I said to the husband, uh, she was called Malika. And I'll never forget her name. And I said, Malika has been found and uh, i said get some things that might uh jog a memory so we got his wedding album out and he was so excited and he was so relieved and uh we got to the old people's home and i said look malika look who i've brought see you and she said that's not my husband and just kicked off and and looking at his face i just started crying and i was the detective there and and i thought i can't stay in this scenario and i just i ended up running through um the kitchen <laughs> i remember running through the kitchen where all the uh, the uh, canteen ladies were and all the doors had secure locks on them so you couldn't get out and so these old people couldn't get out and it and it really affected me for about a week that and I just thought I cannot deal whereas my mum uh, has always worked with um, elderly people but it, I just can't I can't cope it just makes me really emotional for no
0: reason. No I can understand that and I think it's always sort of Sad when like loved ones kind of start to forget to so forget people and oh, yeah, it like was. That. Um, what about like a happy highlight? Have you any of those? Happy highlight. I'm trying to think now. Uh, we we dealt with a job um,
1: where a lot of prostitutes got raped, um, and when we went to court, this is this is more funny than happy. <laughs> uh, when we went, to, well, it's a, it's a good outcome. He pleaded guilty to the rape of the prostitutes. And the judge said, uh, because he's pleaded guilty this morning, I'm going to sentence him this afternoon. So if you want to go and get the victims um, to come and sort of have some closure on it, bring them to court this afternoon. So we went driving around collecting all these um, working girls. Mm. And, And you can imagine in your head what kind of attire they're wearing um, and we got to court and there was about five of them and there was myself and another DC, another female DC and she was sat at one end and I remember the judge talking to the victims but was talking to us as well thinking that we were the prostitutes <laughs> and I remember thinking I can't say actually I, I'm not a prostitute It's <laughs> just thought oh my god I just to sit there and like nod, pretend I was one of the victims. <laughs>
0: Um, so if we sort of fast forward from your um, interesting but top secret career, um, if we go forward a few years, what, what kind of happen next in your life?
1: Um, I met my husband when I was 32. He was 28, so he's a, he's a bit younger than me. He's boy. Um, And I remember on the day I met him, the, the, the first date we ever had, I remember thinking, I told the taxi driver on my way home I was going to marry him. I knew I was going to marry him. And um, I didn't tell Adam straight away because you don't want to show your craziness all, all in one go. So um, things moved quite fast with me and Adam. He's, he's in the place as well. And we decided we wanted to try for a family. I was, I was concerned because I was like 34 at this stage now. Uh, I would be too old to have a family. Um, so... 18 months it took us to try and conceive. So we had um, fertility treatment, we had tablets that we had to take, um, and nothing was happening. And we had a month off um the fertility treatment and decided to go and book a we- our wedding and focus on just positives, basically. And I got pregnant in that month without any fertility treatment. um So it was just my body was just so stressed, I think. So we had our little boy, Ted. Um, and I remember thinking I always expected to have girls I, I didn't know what to do with a boy and I, I when I first found out it was a boy at the 20-week scan I couldn't stop crying and um I feel I'd, I, be, I,
0: like, I feel I'd be like that, I be like
1: that. Yeah. <laughs> well I'm one of three girls so I just thought what do I do with a boy I, I I couldn't wait to go shopping for girls clothes and that kind of thing so anyway when uh ted didn't want to arrive uh, so i was induced but being induced i got sepsis at the same time so i got rushed into um theater uh put to sleep and um i was really poorly and they thought ted had sepsis as well so he went down to the neo uh, baby unit um and i was poor for about 10 days and i remember when i eventually saw ted which was about uh, a day and a half after he was born i remember thinking where's this big rush of love that everybody says you get because he's cute, uh, but that's about it. And I just didn't get the rush of love. And I thought, after all this time, now, I'm not even an actual mum. So eventually it came Um, and we were like firm best friends straight away. And I, I told Adam that because it took us 18 months to get pregnant in the first place, it would probably take us another 18 months again. So start quite early on. So we started... When Ted was seven months pregnant, uh, seven months old, and we got pregnant again, <laughs> so I was delighted. Uh, Adam was in a bit of shock. Um, so yeah, we was all excited about having another baby. Um, I, ideally, in my head, I wanted a girl. Still, uh, went for the scan. It was a little boy. <laughs> And then <laughs> I just thought I'm just going to be my house is always going to have weed on seats and toilet seats left up and underpants all over the place. And I just resigned myself to that fact. Um, so when I was 28 weeks pregnant, I went for uh a, a, a antenatal appointment. And I remember saying to the midwife, I've got uh, pains in my stomach. And she said, it's just growing pains. So uh, I, I, I just accepted what she said. Um went home that day. This was about three o'clock. The pains got worse. By about six o'clock, I phoned the delivery suite. And I said, I think I'm in labor because I've never had contractions with Ted. So I didn't know what a contraction felt like. So they said, right, okay, just have a bath. So I had a bath, as you do, got out of the bath and my waters broke, uh, but they were full of blood. So we ended up getting an ambulance uh, to the hospital. And that was quite surreal being in the ambulance because Nobody really was chatting. It was like being in a taxi on your, on your way to a night out, you know, like, how long have you got left? What, what time does your shift finish? Um, but we, we got to the hospital. They took me straight down to the delivery suite and they said, your little boy's on his way. He's going to be very poorly. So uh, that was fine. We, we, I was like, we can, we can deal with that. We've got our parents. We've got a good support network. So... They should have been taking um, his heartbeat, should have checked his heartbeat every 20 minutes. And they didn't check it for 40 minutes. And then the midwife came, checked it, uh, went off, didn't say anything. And I knew then that um, there was something wrong. And they brought in an incubator, the room was full of people. Um, and then a consultant came and sat on the end of the bed and she nodded in my direction and said, what's she called? Uh, And I thought, she's gonna tell me bad news and she needs to know my name for bad news. So she said, obviously said Irene, and she said, uh, he stopped breathing. Um, um, You need to carry on and give birth. So so I just, uh, I remember having my mum at one side and Adam at the other side. And I thought, this is how I expected labor to be because I've not had that with Ted, but not the part where your baby wasn't gonna be born alive. Um, So he was born. It was We called him Dusty, and he was born on the 8th of November, 2013. And we spent 12 hours with him, um, which we chatted to him, we cuddled him, we kissed him, we talked about his big brother. I had a bath while Adam hugged him. Um, and if somebody had said to me 10 years ago, this is what somebody's done, I, I'm not sure how I would have felt about it. But being in that situation, it felt like the most natural thing in the world to do. Um, our parents came, my sisters came, said goodbye to him. Uh, and, and it was, it was a lovely 12 hours. Um, then we had to walk to the mortuary, which was right at the other end of the hospital, um, and hand him over to the, um, the staff at the mortuary. And I remember she, this, this woman was dressed in white and she had massive gray Fuzzy hair, I can't remember her face, but I just remember handing Dusty over, and that was it. that was the last time we saw him
0: um so and, and what what was um like, what was that like i mean i can't, I can't imagine that, and just like hearing you say that is like bringing tears to my eyes, but was was it something that's kind of and I know you're gonna go on and talk about um your your next child that you went on to have, was it something that kind of your rainbow baby, as they call it, kind of helped with the grieving a a bit of, of Dusty? Um, I think
1: getting pregnant again, I I did it too quickly because I wanted Dusty back in my, back in my stomach basically. And I got pregnant three months later. Um, and I don't think I'd grieved for Dusty. Um, and but I'd convinced everybody that I had. I'd dealt with it. I'd put it in a box. I'd put it away because I knew if I hadn't have shown to Adam that I'd dealt with my grief, I knew he wouldn't have agreed to get pregnant again. Um so and and it's a wave of emotion it's like um when I got pregnant again, the guilt, I felt massively guilty straight away. Um I felt guilty on Dusty that I'd replaced him. I felt guilty on the new baby that maybe he wouldn't have even happened if Dusty had carried on living. Um, So I can't really remember much of the pregnancy with like my third son, who was another boy, Um, other than crying a lot. uh, I just, I just felt guilty the whole way through. I felt guilty on my parents for putting them through another pregnancy because it had, you know, everybody gets affected by it, not just you. Not Not in the same way, but everybody's affected by it. And like my mum seeing me heartbroken and it is like a physical pain in your heart. I'd never felt heartbreak like it before and I didn't realise how physical it would feel. It was, it was, it was just, it felt like um, you were just broken. You were just broken, basically. That's how it felt like and and getting pregnant i thought would be the fix and it it wasn't
0: what um was your third son what's your third son's name so he's called Albie. um
1: so he was born crying and then i blame myself because i cried all the way through the pregnancy uh but he's honestly somebody said to me uh dusty stepped back because they knew how special alby was and it was his turn, not Dusty's turn, and I I love that, um, because he is, he's really cheeky, and and I call them both the stinks. That's that's how I refer to them, um. But he's like, he'll make you laugh every single day, and and, and I think that I like to think that Dusty thought, yeah, it's Albie's turn, it's not my turn. Um,
0: so and yeah. so, how old are the boys
1: now? Now they're nine and seven. So they both know about Dusty. They've known about Dusty the whole time. They call him Baby Dusty. They know when his birthday is. And they talk about Baby Dusty. And Albie's got a big thing about, um, like, your height refers to your, your age kind of thing. So he was like, so is Baby Dusty this big? Um, and I'm I'm bigger. And I'm like, well, Dusty would have been older than you. Uh, but that really confuses him. But I, I think it's nice to talk about. We've got fo- a photo. Like, we had photographs taken, which is another thing. That I would have thought, mm, I'm not sure about that. But it the precious, the precious these things that we've got of them them now.
0: Yeah, and I and I guess no one can really say in that situation what they do, could they? I know um a few people who've, like you said, had photos taken and and like some people might think, oh, that's that's a bit weird, but but it's not. And if it's like part of the process and you know what you need to kind of comfort you in that time, um, then that's what you do. So if we go back, so after all this. You were then diagnosed with a brain tumour when your boys were age two and four.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So what was that plodding along? Yeah.
0: I was going to ask, what was, what was it like, like when you found out? Um,
1: initially I was annoyed. I was annoyed because I thought I've, proven to whoever you you believe in the God universe or or whatever I've proven that I can be strong so why somebody sent me another test because I don't need one I don't need another test I'm happy just to plod along with life and just do our own little thing so I was annoyed I was I was was angry Um, but they told me to just uh, it wasn't cancerous they told me to go home and I had to wait six months to see if it was growing and have another scan And they said, uh, try and forget about it. Well, Uh, well, that's helpful. (laughs) Easier said than done, yeah. Um, So like mornings that I'd wake up and Ted and Albert, uh, they like being naked in our house. Um, The mornings that I wake up and I'd have a naked bare ass in my face, I'd be quite grateful for it because I think, well, at least I weren't thinking brain tumour then. Um, And there's one funny story. I was, um, I went downstairs one morning and, and every morning when I woke up, unless there were bare eyes in my face, I'd be thinking um, brain tumour. And one morning I went downstairs and Albie said, mummy, can I have a drink? And they were both watching television. And I said, there's a drink here on the table. Who's is this? So they both ignored me. So I picked up the drink. I said, it's warm, this. It's warm water. Who's put warm water in a cup? Both ignored me again. So I had a taste of it. And I said, Albie, who's this? this? And he said, though, no, it's not water that mummy of weed in it.
0: And it just oh. said a mouth <laughs> <laughs> um, So, like, prior to being diagnosed with it, were you like poorly, or kind of what led to the diagnosis? I was, um, I was tired, and I just remember thinking,
1: "Wow, is this motherhood? (laughs) Is this how tired it makes you?" Because obviously, the boys were four and two, um, so the full on, the full on at that age, and and I was just knackered basically. And I remember a few times getting dizzy, uh, so I thought, "Oh, maybe I need glasses." so I went to the opticians, had an eyesight test, and she said, I think you need a hearing test. So I just went to Boots and had a free hearing test. And the guy there uh, was trying to be polite, but saying, your hearing deteriorates as you're older, but yours is gone a bit, um, It's deteriorated more than it should do. Take this report to the hospital, to the doctor. So I went to the doctors and within two weeks had the MRI scan, um, and then within, four days I was called in for the results that I knew then I knew it wasn't going to be great news because I were called in so quickly
0: how did you I don't know Have did you have the conversation with your boys at that age or kind of what was what happened next because I know that you had went on to have brain surgery but kind of was there a process that you you told them or what was that like um I didn't tell until I was having
1: Brain surgery. So that was March 2019, and I told them that I had a spot on my brain, and that the doctors were going to get rid of the spot. Um, and it's it's weird because, yeah, obviously I'm I'm quite a positive person, and I was always like, oh, think of the positive, think of the positives. Uh, and then I thought, should I write them both a letter, just in case? Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember really deliberating, didn't know whether I should write my letter or not. And then I was thinking, should I do videos? Should I should I do videos for their 18th? Should I, you know, and and for as how positive you want to be. I'm a planner. I like to plan. Mm. And and I thought if I died and I hadn't done anything for them, I, I'd just be devastated. Obviously, I wouldn't feel anything, but I, I'd be devastated if they had nothing like that. Um, and I remember saying to Adam, "I don't want you to get married again." Um, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not happy with that, <laughs> uh, and I, and I I just I remember thinking should I say to my friends, if you see Ted and I'll be around and I'm not I I've died, will you give them hugs? And then I thought that might really freak them out. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's just bizarre what goes through your head, because it's just well, you unknown.
0: Yeah, but I guess from the like going through those thoughts and that, and obviously you've you've not died, you're here today, but. you've got a a good sort of spell of time to plan ahead you know to do you know to do those things compared to say someone who got hit by a bus or you know things like that so in a way you you kind of would have had like um like a keepsake box I'm guessing for like cards and things and you know I I think I think of that now like um when my granny died and that was totally unexpected and I think oh it, it would be nice you know if they wrote cards and, and you know, things like for your wedding day and your birthdays and things like that. But yeah. Um, yeah, so did you get more tired or kind of what what was the length from diagnosis to surgery and kind of why did if, you end up needing that? Uh, so it was a year. So um, when I went back for my second scan, they said
1: that um, my brain tumour was growing, uh, so I needed the surgery. So it was a year. Um, and I remember going into hospital and thinking right I'm going to be in for probably about five days um I'm going to make the most of it I've got a lot of self-help books I got a face masks uh new new pajamas from Marks and Spencers took my makeup uh and I never changed out of one pair of pajamas the whole time I was there never sprayed any deodorant never cleaned my teeth <laughs> all these plans I had in my head um yeah never happened
0: <laughs> did you have kind of like I don't know a lump on your head would you have been able to tell from the outside you kind of had something on your head no no so they shaved
1: part my, so I cut my hair short because I just thought well if there's ever a time to try out short hair it's now so I had short hair uh, and they shaved around my ear and this sounds a bit disgusting but peeled my ear back Uh, And went in through my ear, so I'm now deaf in my left side. But I knew that was going to be the case before the operation.
0: Um, And then pull back your ear and stitch it back up again. Oh wow, that's 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 like very clever in terms of like you're not needing like a whole head cut open. No, no. and what other bizarre thing they did because they take part of your skull out
1: instead of putting that skull piece back, they take fat from your stomach and pump fat (laughs) back. So it's the I've got fat in my head from my stomach oh,
0: wow. it's just weird it's unbelievable the things they can do yeah so when you woke up you must have been like I'm alive <laughs> like thank goodness yeah
1: yeah. I- yeah definitely and
0: yeah. I remember um I came at the surgery was 10 hours long which was
1: the easy bit for me and um I came out mum and dad and Adam with her and I remember because there was a, a chance that uh, they could hit the facial nerve which meant that you got like Bell's palsy so your face dropped uh, and that could be permanent or temporary. Uh, I remember coming out and saying to my mum, how's my face, how's my face? And she just said, you look beautiful, Irene. And then I fell back asleep then. So.
0: <laughs> yeah. And so you recovered. How, how are you doing now? I'm sure listeners will be hearing this thinking like, wow, like what a woman, but how are you doing? <laughs> um, well, I recovered, but
1: whilst I were off work, I were off work for six months and I thought, I love say yes to the dress. But I could not watch six months to say yes to the dress so I thought I'm gonna write a book so I started writing um everything that had happened but put a bit of like I know you can't make what happened with dusty funny but um put real life elements in it uh, and that's what focused me basically because because your brains had a shock you um you have to just rest it uh, but it's quite hard to just there and do nothing um so yeah so I wrote a book and self-published a book in that time that I was off and then went back to work
0: so after brain surgery do you have any like not problems but like could you still talk and was your brain function still there or did you have to relearn anything no it was all still there
1: they wouldn't let me head, head to hospital until I'd walked upstairs and walked back downstairs um so that was five days that I could do that um but everything everything was still there and it's funny. You seemed, I don't know, not a, a, a near death experience, but you sort of reevaluate when you've been through things like that and think, you know what, life is too short. Stop saying, I'd love to write a book, just do it. Or stop mm-hmm. saying, I, I want to do this. So I've been like, I've done, last year I did skydives. Um, ju- I just put in for random things now because I just think, why, why?
0: not? No. Yeah. And I think like the pandemic's taught that to people as well. You know, like life is so short and, and if you want to, I don't know, if you want to do something, so like I, I was hit somewhere today and there was a few celebrities and I thought, you know what, instead of wanting to go and get a photo, I'm just going to be like, can I have a photo with you, please? And it was like, you've just got to kind of, that's a very like, you know, minor thing, but you've just got to kind of do those things. So tell me a bit about that book you wrote and you've also written another book. So do you want to tell me what those are about? Yeah, so the first book is called Look for the F rainbows Rainbows. Um,
1: so I sort of started writing bits about the lads calling them the stinky stories. Uh, and it's all about what happened with Dusty uh, and the brain tumour. So it's about, but at the end of each chapter, I list three things that I'm grateful for. Um, I, two of them will be funny. One will be quite serious, you know, I don't know. Um, just just funny things. Uh, so it's quite... It, But because I like to be honest, totally honest about how I felt and stuff, I think people can relate to it a bit um, and think, actually, when I was first uh, at a baby, I felt like I'd been hit over the head with a cricket bat too. You know, that kind of thing. I'm quite, quite honest in it.
0: So uh, is it... Autobiographical. I don't think that's the word. Is it like a novel yeah. book, fiction? Well, it's not fiction, but is it like fiction but based on a true your story or what kind of? Like no, story? it's
1: exactly. It's like my diary, basically. What goes through my head and my head is quite random, um <laughs> so it is. It's just all all true, a true story. So, um yeah. And then the second one. When did that come out? I did that over lockdown. Um, because I loved writing then, and, and I never was any good at English, but I loved writing, um, I wrote the second book, which is called Look for the F in Rainbows, A Self-Help Guide, Not Really. Um, and that's about trying different things, you know, like meditation, uh, vision boards, um, just different things that people say, oh, uh, this wonders for me, and, and saying whether it worked or not. And in the meantime as well, it was like you were the celebrities. I got in touch with um, Paul McKenzie, who's the editor of Lancashire Life, saying, uh, "Could I do a book? Could you do a book review on my books?" Uh, he looked at my website and he got back in touch and said, "Would you like to write a column?" And normally I'd be like, "Oh my god, no, I don't think I can write a column." And I thought, "Yeah, why not?" Mm. So since last June, uh, I have a monthly column in Lancashire Life. And what what goes on in there? it's just honestly it's just every day so um like uh what's i've got i've got to submit one uh, this weekend and it's about um different phrases that people pieces of advice that people give you when you have kids or when you get married and one of them is um 10 things not to say to your husband each day but i have difficulty with that and things just pop out um what are a few of those things not to say one of them, I remember being on a, we had a, a date night and, and this was meant as a compliment to him. Um, and I said, you know what? I said, I don't need you, but I want you. I want to be with you, but I don't need to be with you. And I was saying that as a compliment. <laughs> uh, and he, well, he took it. He didn't take it great anyway, but it's <laughs> things like that, that pop in my head. That I think, yeah, I should tell him that. And then I, think, think,
0: uh, I think I think not to tell women is like oh you're emotional why don't you or you know the kind of oh you're just emotional why don't you have a bath to calm down that's what I was told told a few days a few weeks ago back from my beloved boyfriend and I was like oh why don't you have a bath if you're stressed (laughs) now I'm in a running joke about having a bath to calm down (laughs) but um, I'll read that column that sounds really good how did you kind of, you said you self-published the book, so what's that process like? It's it's relatively easy, so I did get a book mentor um, who sort of helped
1: me sort of um, focus uh, because I can go random and uh, just go off topic um, and so that was good to have some sort of um, accountability and then you just basically get it in a format get it formatted get a book cover so one of the other mums at the school is an illustrator she did the book cover for me Um, and then you stick it on amazon and amazon sell it but then there's also other avenues so you can sell it through waterstones and all other bookshops Um, and it's just relatively easy to get it on anybody anybody can do it
0: yeah and how long kind of did it take you to write each book like the process of like from start to finish I think probably about
1: 12 months on each one yeah Uh, so yeah um I guess though it's once you start
0: yeah I guess though like with boys it's you know it's the spare few minutes you've got to to do it when you're when you're not on a date night or in the bath calming down um yeah yeah Yeah. luckily we don't have many date nights (laughs) (laughs) Uh, luckily (laughs) Um, (laughs) so like what what's going on now with with your your brain do you have to have checkups on it or are you, are you all good now like what's the yeah of- I
1: have to have a brain scan every uh well it was every two years so I had my first one the beginning of this year and it was clear now I don't have to have one till five years time um so it's just I, I quite like the idea of being able to have a brain scan you know every five years mm. just to give me just to sort of Put me at ease, um, but yeah, I, I'm. I'm. F- apart from the being deaf in one ear, which can be a positive in our house anyway,
0: um,
1: mm-hmm. I'm fine.
0: <laughs> so, kind of, what what advice would you give? Or, yeah, I'll I'll go with two questions. I'll go with what advice would you give yourself um, before this happened? Before you had kids, you know, when you were 21, starting out as you with in your career, and if you'd have known all that was going to happen. Like, what would you have told yourself? Because you're an incredibly strong person and, like, that strength you've got. What would you have told yourself?
1: I would have told myself, um, don't bother about what people think. Spend less time worrying about what other people think um, because, really, other people have got their own issues, their own hang-ups. Nobody's really interested. um, Because I I would stop doing something i would never have written a book because i would have been more bothered about what people would have thought or what if they criticised it what if i got a bad review and now i think so what um yeah well i I say i think so what but i would read it over and over again you know and i wouldn't just remember that one bad review but it's just to just to try new things just
0: and stop worrying what other people think i mean there'll be a lot of people listening that have kind of gone through what you went through with with Dusty um have you any kind of advice for, for those guys who you know would maybe struggling to deal with like the loss of their child or like having to give birth um to like a baby that's asleep
1: I I, I would say you have to you have to go through the grieving process there's you you can delay it by having a bottle of wine every other you know you can de- but it's just a delaying process so you have to experience every part of the grieving process but what I would say is even though at the at that time you do not think you will ever ever laugh and feel happy again I I, I promise you you will do
0: yeah that's lovely to end it on so people want to kind of follow you um your journey what you're up to how's best for them to follow along and and kind of keep up to date with you uh well there's
1: obviously the article in Lancashire Life I am on um Instagram Irene Wignall and the Stinks uh I've got a website um lookforrainbows.com um and that's it really oh, oh that's on Twitter I'm Twitter, <laughs> Twitter. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's amazing well I think like Well, I've been very inspired by what you were saying and I'm sure everyone listening will have done um, and like your determination and like grit really to carry on when things are are chucked at you. So thanks so much for, for coming on today. That's been really interesting. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week keep up to date with all things from a Lancashire lass follow on facebook and instagram at from lass